Hi, everyone. This is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so glad you're here. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Today, I am so excited. We have with us Danny Travsa. Danny, thank you for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited for this conversation. I think you have a lot of really good perspective that is really useful. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself, share your grief story so the audience can get a good perspective on where this conversation is coming from today, and we'll get right into it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Danielle or Danny Tropsa, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer about four years ago, almost four years, which is pretty crazy to think about, but I was only 30 years old when it happened. It was one of those things where I was just in a super healthy state in life. Didn't think anything could possibly go wrong, feeling really safe about where I was, what I was doing, all those different things. You just don't think you're going to have this crazy diagnosis come to life, especially at 30. And you just cross that marker of going into your thirties. And that's already enough of a devastation of just being like, I am an actual adult and this is just weird. So I felt that I felt that really strongly that year specifically. And during the summer, I was having some, some weird like back pains and different things that I just didn't really know what was going on. And that's kind of the precursor. It doesn't, didn't end up being correlated, but just to give you context of kind of where I was going, I was having all this back pain. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 30. This sucks. I'm getting like <laughs> all these weird pains that I didn't have before what's going on. So I ended up getting this MRI done of my back because I wanted to know, did I injure it? What, what was going on? And ended up the test showed that I, nothing was wrong with my back, but it did show that I had some fluid in my lungs. And I bring it up because again, it had no correlation, but the interesting part about it was that I saw this fluid in my lungs and I started Googling things like, what does that mean? What's going on? Cause my doctor was like, you should get this checked out more. And one of the things that it said was breast cancer. And immediately my head was that that's not possible. That's not the thing, even though I'm totally a hypochondriac and I would go to worst case scenario, but I just automatically was like, no way. I also had this weird notion that I had small breasts. Like that's not going to be a thing for me because I have small breasts where, where would it live? So it was a crazy kind of thought process in my head. Ultimately two months later, I found a lump in my breast. I ended up having some weird pains. It was like an electric sensation going through my right side. And it felt like it had an epicenter and that's the best way I can describe it. It was just a very, very weird pain that I had never experienced before. And it would come and go throughout the day. And I ended up doing a self-exam and that's when I found this really hard, very uneven and not movable lump. And I immediately called my doctor, scheduled an appointment. And I was told I was too young. I was fine. It would probably be like some kind of fatty tissue or something along those lines, but I ended up pushing for further testing. And within one week I was diagnosed on Friday, the 13th, which is just serendipitous. And I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma. I had two tumors in my right side and the rest is kind of all goes from there, but that was about four years ago, almost to, yeah, in October of 2017. Wow. I want to get in a little bit later to doctors listening to yes, patients. I, um, yes, 
I'm very but, passionate about that subject. <laughs> okay. So let's, let's get there in a little bit, but if you can talk uh, about just like the experience of a diagnosis at such a young age, I think like, as you were saying, when you're 30, you're like, oh, I'm a grown up. Like I'm going to start to have all of these experiences, build my life. Mm -hmm. And then your life was just like curveball. Yeah. What was that like? And what was it like? I'm assuming none of your friends at the time were also going through this. Was it isolating? Was it weird? What was that like? Yeah. Yeah. All great questions. So, I mean, the biggest thing was that, you know, it's, it turns your life upside down from going, like you said, going from this healthy mindset, my life's in front of me. Am I settling down? Am I starting a family? All of those things that kind of come with the precursor of turning 30. But then when you have this serious health diagnosis, you kind of just, everything goes black of like what that future could even hold. Mm -hmm. And that is really where my grief started is that, you know, you can't really look to the future as much as you may be used to, because you don't really know what that could possibly be. Yes. In terms of that, it's like turning my life upside down and me being 30, none of my friends have ever dealt with this. So I was in a really tight knit group of friends. I still am. They're amazing, amazing group of people. And within that, I was the only one who was going through this really serious health situation. And I would say it's isolating and it is in some ways, and it was also not in others. So in one way it was like, it brought such gratitude to my life in the sense that mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much love and support I had within the people that were surrounding me, not only friends, but family, all of that. And on the other side of that, the, the part that's isolating is that none of them can really truly understand it. They can't really put themselves in your shoes. It's kind of impossible and it doesn't go without a lack of effort. Everyone tried and they would try to say the right things and try to do the right things and all those. And I'm very extremely grateful for all of that, but really in the back of your head, you're just like, okay, I'm venting to you, but you can't understand this necessarily as much as because you're not going through it. And it's, you get like, sometimes you just get angry. You're just like, mm -hmm. I'm not angry at you, but I'm just angry that I'm the only one going through this situation within my group of friends and family. So what do I do with that? What, what do I do with that emotion? How do I address it? What is, what does support look like for me? What do I need? All of those different questions cross your mind a million times because people would ask me, what do you need? And I'm like, I don't know. I have no idea what I need. <laughs> I need this to all go away, but it's not. So how do I kind of take it head on and deal with it? Yeah. And how do I ask for help in the right way? So it was like all of those different things. It's just it's a lot. It's overwhelming, especially in the first part of things. And everyone, you know, everyone just wants to jump in and help and be there for you. And that's awesome. But sometimes you're just like, all right, give me a second. <laughs> so, okay, so yeah. let's talk about that, actually. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to talk about on the show is what did people say that was helpful and what did people say that they thought was helpful, but made you want to throw something at them because it just really missed the mark. And the reason I love talking about that is because I think there is no, there were not a lot of good resources that I found that talked about what was actually the right thing to say. And part of the reason I started the podcast was because most of my friends didn't know how to talk to me about yeah. this. And the only people who knew had gone through something super traumatic. So I would love to hear from you things that were really helpful and then things that 
people thought were helpful, but were not. Yeah. I mean, starting with the helpful parts, I think the most helpful is actually asking the person, like for me, it was, what do you need? And not only did that spark me to think about it, because maybe I wasn't in certain parts of it, but everybody's going to need something different. So there's not a plug and play model of how you can address a traumatic event, such as a diagnosis with cancer. So I think it's first and foremost, asking that of the person. So I loved when people would come to me, like one of my best friends would always say like, what do you need today? What do you need today? Cause it's changing minute Every by day. minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, asking that question and making me kind of think about it. And sometimes I would just say, I don't know. And then I thought what was most helpful for me was just having a person there and be like, okay, I'm here. I'm here. I'm going to sit with you in this darkness. I'm going to sit with you in this sadness or whatever I was feeling in that moment. And just saying to me, I, I think it's kind of funny because I think, I feel like there was a movie or a show or something that talked about this. It might've been Parks and Rec, but just coming to the table and being like, this sucks. It sucks and that's all you really need just to acknowledge the fact that this is shitty and it sucks and it's not the situation you want to necessarily be in and just like sitting with that person and not trying to figure out what the right thing is to say or what the right thing is to do just being there is basically the best thing and the what I liked the most it and just treating treating me normal sometimes too was the nice thing like not feeling like I was this porcelain doll or this, you know, walking on eggshells type of situation where anything that that person was going to say could have triggered me. Sometimes it was just like, Hey, you, you like, let's go get our nails done. Like that was one thing that one of my best friends did. She was like, let's just go get our nails done. And I was like, yes, let's do that. Because it just made you feel like, okay, I can shut this out for five minutes because it's constantly on my brain. And it was something that would just was super helpful to just be able to do normal things like play video games or something. That was another thing that my family would do with me often, especially within recovery. They were like, let's play a video game. And that just brought me back also to like a nostalgic point of view, which I think Mm -hmm. was really helpful. Anything nostalgic for me was like very, very healing. It was just something that I really appreciated because it brought me back to a time where I did feel safe and healthy and all of those things. So I think that was really helpful. Um, in terms of the wrong things, (laughs) I think the most wrong thing that I heard, (laughs) which is unfortunate, but a lot of people, you know, I was smaller chested before I went through surgery and a lot of my friends and family knew that I had toyed around with getting a boob job for the longest time because I was like, oh, you know, I'd love to have like larger chest, whatever. And the thing that was wrong for me, and it's probably very specific, and then I can get into more of a general thing, but is that people were like, oh, you got a free boob job. Like now you got the free boob job. Oh gosh. And they're just trying to help, but. It used to be humorous and funny, but it's like, okay, that's not at all how I think of this. And it's not what it is. So that was, I heard that so often, um, like you got a free boob job or you got a boob job. It didn't have to be free. It was like, just, you got a boob job. That's what you want. No, (laughs) I didn't want it like this. So yeah, yeah, that was one of the worst things I probably could be told, but in general, other things, I feel like people have good intentions, but they're always like, you know, well, you're young. So you'll, you'll beat this or 
now you're cancer free. So it won't, it won't come back. Like you're not going to have cancer again. You're not going to. And it's like, I know that those are hopeful and good intentions, but you don't know. And the like ultimate part of it, like it's never going to come back. That's not, it's not a guarantee. So hearing that is not helpful. It's -hmm. like, I would rather just be like, I would rather be talking about how we can be optimizing our health and focusing on the holistic picture of things and all of that, because I think that's more helpful versus saying, oh, this is never, you're never going to have to deal with this. Don't worry. Don't worry. Like the don't worry and the relax and the it's okay's are not helpful because that's not always the case. And it's not, you know, being cautiously optimistic is great. And I believe in a positive mindset for sure, but there's a different way to be positive versus being like toxic positivity, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense versus a positive mindset in the sense that like, okay, we're doing the right things for health. And like, we feel like, how do we, how do I feel safe in what I have right now? And how do I be present in this moment and not try to think too far ahead and worry about the unknowns that I cannot predict or no. So yeah. did people ever say to you, cause I've heard when people are talking about breast cancer, they're like, well, it's the best of the worst options. And it's like, <sighs> yeah. right, right. But it's, it's still bad. Like, and so I wonder if you have any thoughts you can share on in your experience or just as you've thought about this and gone, went through this, like why, or what did you notice? I feel like what people do is they're trying to almost make themselves feel better because they're like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Yeah. They don't know what to say. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, people, yes, often we come at things, especially I think when people realize you had a cancer diagnosis and you're young and they're like, what do I even say? What do I do? What's the right thing? Everyone's trying to figure out what the right thing is. And that's what I was saying before is that there isn't a right thing. And also giving context to some of those comments is also helpful because yeah, I've definitely heard, oh, at least you got the good type of cancer. And I'm like, what does that even is there a good type of cancer? I don't get what that statement means. And like, where is that contextually coming from? But I think they're just trying to raise hope and inspiration and give a positive point of view. But yeah, it's, it's one of those where it's like, maybe just think before you speak and say that because it comes back to you can't understand it unless you're going through it. So if you don't, then maybe just don't try as hard to figure out what the right thing is. Just be yourself, say what you actually feel instead of trying to figure out what are the right words and sentences, because that's what it feels like a little bit less than saying, oh, I'm uncomfortable in this scenario. Like you have cancer. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. That's actually like perfect. That's a perfect thing to say. I'd be like, okay, yeah, totally fair. Like that's totally fair. I can tell you how I feel and what would be helpful to hear from you, but voicing your feelings is like the best thing you can do in those scenarios because yeah, usually you're just stumbling over trying to figure out what the right and the wrong is. And that's, there's not that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it is just so interesting. I had people who were like, I don't know what to say. And I was like, that's good. And you can just like see the relief on their face. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Just say, I don't know what to say. and I don't know what to do. And that's perfectly valid. so valid. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we had talked about before in 
you kind of started to mention in this conversation is that you are grieving or like part of the grief associated with a cancer diagnosis. I'd love to hear just like generally what that experience was, but specifically you talked about the loss of feeling safe in your body, which Mm -hmm. I think is something you can't relate to until you get a diagnosis like this. But if you can just share the grief you felt and what was that like? Yeah, I think there are a few different points of grief. One, you're grieving for this loss of your previous self because a diagnosis like cancer or any type of like traumatic event, I believe really changes you and truly kind of transitions you into this new perspective and new being. I'm still me and I still have parts of me that are still there, but I think I'm grieving the loss of my previous life and how I was, what I used to be able to do, all those different things. Cause there are just, there are things that come with a cancer diagnosis that you don't get the options and the choices anymore. And a symptom is not just a symptom, you know, it's like, it's always a cause for concern. So that's the second part of it is grieving the loss of safety. You know, when you're young, you feel invincible and you feel like, oh, I don't have to worry about that, especially breast cancer, where they're saying, you know, the average age is 65 and above. And you're like, I'm 30, I'm fine. You know, I don't need to worry about this. And then when it does become a situation that you do have to worry about, you really do grieve the safety that you felt before. Like I, I get emotional and cry about it all the time in the sense that I just, I'm like frustrated with the fact that I can't I don't have the trust in my body as much as I did. And I'm working through that. And that's like a daily and constant practice because yeah, when I first got diagnosed, it was like my body betrayed me. It was like, what, how did this even happen? What did I do? It was like all the different scenarios of what did I do to cause this? And the grief around figuring, like actually letting that go is really tough because Mm -hmm it's, it's like, it, you can't wrap your head around it. It's like impossible. So there isn't necessarily going to be a definitive cause of things like this. So building that trust back up and learning to love this new person that you've become is like, part of that is actually grieving it. And you have to, like, I, I say it to everyone who's been newly diagnosed is like, you have to grieve that because if you don't, it just, it becomes so tough and it's like toxic in so many ways for you and your mind and your body and the connection between it. So letting that grief kind of settle in and just be like, whoa, this, this sucks. It it sucks and it's hard and it hurts. And it's like, okay, I used to feel safe and now I don't. So where do we go from there? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything specifically that really helped you work through that, that you did? It sounds like it's still something that you're thinking yeah. about daily yeah. and that's so important, but All I think for new grievers, whether they're grieving loss of a loved one, whatever they're grieving, like you almost want a quick fix. And something mm-hmm. I talk about a lot on the show is that like, there's not a quick fix. No. And so if you could talk a little bit about some things that were helpful, um, yeah. and working through the grief on that. Yeah. So one thing that somebody said to me, and this is goes for any type of grieving, but I'm going to circle it back to myself in this kind of notion of grieving is the outpouring of love that you had for a person or yourself or whatever you had that you lost. 
So kind of shifting my thinking to being like, okay, I'm grieving this because I loved my former self and I loved the safety and I loved my body the way that it was and then making all these changes. So I've, you know, I've got to grieve and let that love kind of outpour to be expelled and put into the universe and kind of like go into that. And I know that's probably a little woo woo, but I truly believe that. Okay, great, great. (laughs) So do I, but you know, um, caveating that. And so, yeah, just like letting all of that. I, what is the word I'm trying to think of letting it all show up the way that it's going to show up. So whatever that is, is it crying? Is it anger? Is it, you know, running five miles? I don't know. There's just, there's a bunch of different ways, but figuring out to me, it was like figuring out what I needed in each of those moments where I was feeling overwhelmingly. So with grief, like I was feeling an overwhelming amount of grief and what did I need in those moments? And then the other part for me that I do and I'm trying to do it daily. I need to be like super um, regimented about it, but I have a process that I would like stand in front of my mirror and I just look at each part of my body and I'll be like, what is that used for? And why am I grateful for it? And really just building like this positive mindset and relationship back with myself and looking at my scars and looking at like what has really changed about my body, because that is a big part of breast cancer specifically is that you are left with a physical reminder every single day. So how do you wrap your head around that and not be consumed by the grief of loss for Mm -hmm. it? So yeah, looking at myself in the mirror, literally every single part being like, what's my nose used for? And why am I grateful for it? What is my ear, like earlobe used for? It's, it sounds like a maybe silly process, but it is so helpful and just like building this positive dialogue with my body because I feel like if I don't I just ignore it and I avoid it and I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deal with anything and I'm not gonna get over this hump or ever feel safe in my body again and you know there are moments I don't feel safe I'm not going like this is a very constant and daily practice but yeah being able to like sit and be like okay and listening to my body in those moments it's almost like a a meditation in the sense that you're going through like a body scan, but you're doing Mm -hmm. it actually looking at your body. And I think that's important because I feel like actually physically seeing it helps me in order to kind of figure out what, where I need to work on and where I don't need to work on in terms of my relationship with my body in general. So it's helped me a lot. I love that. I do something not as in-depth as that but if I pass someone who's in a wheelchair or like you see in New York people often who have like some sort of amputation of like I'm grateful my legs work and like I just do a quick and if I pass someone who's homeless I'm like I'm grateful I have a roof over my head and it's just like really fast but I do think there is something to gratitude that is really helpful, regardless of if you're dealing with a diagnosis or not, or dealing with grief, but particularly in when you're in those spaces. Yeah. It's important to remind yourself that you can still be grateful because when yes. you're gr- grieving, sometimes you lose hope. Yes. Yes. I, I can relate to that very much. Yeah. The consumption of it feels very heavy and 
kind of pulling yourself out of that. And I suggest this too, for anyone going through any type of grief, there's a thing called a gratitude journal. It's like, oh no, sorry. It's called five minute journal. Have you ever heard of this? I think so, but tell us about it to me in the audience in case the audience hasn't. Yeah, (laughs) it's really helpful because it's super quick. It actually only takes five minutes. So every day you say, I am grateful for, and it has one, two, three. So you just write three points of what you're grateful for. And then you say, what would make today great? And you talk about like, what would make the day great in three simple sentences and then a daily affirmation. So it starts with, I am. So mine, for example, would be like healthy, strong, and will live a long life. And just those types of things that I'm affirming. And then at night, before you go to sleep, there is a little part that you have to write down couple more things, but it says three amazing things that happened today. And how could I have made today even better? So it's just, it's a really good, I love it. It's the five minute journal. Um, but it's just really good if you're looking for more of a structured way to kind of put your thoughts on a page and not spend a ton of time, but to your point, focus more on gratitude and what are those things that we should hopefully feel grateful for within the day. So yeah, I love it. It's been really helpful for me within this journey. Yeah, I like that. I have not done it formally, but I maybe should because I will try to do it informally and it lasts like two days. It's know? so yeah. easy. I'm gonna I know the audience can't see this, but I'm showing you just a picture of how quick and simple it is. Oh yeah, it's set up very easy. Yeah. Exactly. We could all do that. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you've made, you've like started to focus on gratitude since this diagnosis, but if you can tell us more about what your life has been after the diagnosis, how, like, how long was this process of diagnosis to when you were declared cancer free? And then like, what has your life been like after that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's different for every person, but for me specifically, I was diagnosed in October and a month later, I think it was like a month and a half max, I had my double mastectomy surgery. And that's where they technically declare you cancer free because they're supposed to be able to get like cancer, like the clean margins and they test lymph nodes within that and making sure that they've gotten all that they can see within that localized area. That's not where my journey stopped, but for me, that's kind of where the cancer free terminology came in it's a tough and triggering word, I think, because it's like, you don't, no, 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 no. I'm happy to talk. I say it's triggering in the sense that like, I'm happy to talk about triggers. I actually love talking about them. So if it's something that triggers me, I'm like, let's get into it. And it's triggering because it's like, you're never guaranteed that that will be the case forever. So cancer-free right now, I feel like it's actually a good trigger because it should be something that I say to myself more often. Ultimately, From there, I was told that I needed to go through chemotherapy because after they test the tumors, I was so young. They were like, all right, even though you're at the lower side of the spectrum, we still think that you need to do this because you're so young. Cancer is usually more aggressive in younger women, especially breast cancer. So I did go through chemotherapy for six months. And then after that, I did reconstruction surgery. And now I am on a drug daily every day for 10 years. So it's never really gone. So you kind of like go through this cancer treatment actively. And then now I'm still 
quote unquote, actively doing it. It's not quite as active as like a chemo or a surgery, but it's still a daily thing. I have to take this pill for 10 years to hopefully, hopefully keep cancer away. So yeah, it's kind of one of those, it's from the time of diagnosis to the time that I started taking this pill was about a year and a half. And then now it's been about almost three years of being on this pill. So seven more to go. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a process and we don't know. I mean, standard of care could change. I could be on this pill for the rest of my life. Who knows? We're going to find mm-hmm. out as they evolve with treatment opportunities and all that stuff. So it's ever changing. <laughs> yeah. So if you can, I guess we won't use the term. I no, don't know what term use to it. use. No, you can um, use cancer free. It's totally fine. But since this has happened and now you're in a new normal now, yeah. let's say that. Yeah. What do you feel like this experience, what did you lose? What did you gain? Like, what did you learn? Because going through any major life shift all of those things happen. So if yeah. you can share a little bit with the audience, what were some of the things that you experienced? Yeah, I think I, I lost, I mean, it goes back to the safety conversation we were having before, but to elaborate on that a little bit more is that I lost what feels like my choice in terms of, you know, my health and how I live life. So like everything is kind of scrutinized for me in terms of, you know, what I do do and what I eat. And, you know, if, if I have a cocktail or a glass of wine, I'm like, oh, is this hurting my health? So I've lost kind of that, that safety net and that feeling of being able to just kind of be wild and free and do all those things that, you know, I used to, not that I was like crazy, but, you know, just used to not have to think about. I think that's probably the biggest thing I lost, but in that I actually gained a lot of perspective and a lot of different shifts in terms of how I approach my health. For example, I used to eat, I'm going to use air quotes again, healthy to look and feel a certain way. Right. So I would go in, I danced my whole life. Body image and dancing is like a big, it's a big Mm -hmm. thing. And I used to eat healthy because I was trying to be a certain size and certain weight and this look a certain way, because that's just how I had it ingrained in my brain. Now I do not care. I don't give a shit about it. I'm like, I don't care about what the calories are. I don't care about the fat content. None of that stuff is important to me. It's about what is that nutritional value? Why am I putting it in my body to give me more of a holistic, healthy life? So it's, definitely gained that perspective. So with the loss of feeling safe, I've gained this new perspective of feeling like I am doing these really great and important things for my health that I never paid attention to before. And that comes down to not only food, but it's also like products that I use. What do I put on my skin? Because our skin's an organ and, you know, it's absorbing what we put on it. So changing all of my products over to things that are not toxic and clean and looking at my environment in totality and saying, you know, Am I in a stressful situation? Realizing that I was in super stressful jobs for most of my twenties. And I was like, what did I do that for? Why did I, why was I doing that? So I've gained new perspective into boundaries and balancing and all of those different things that I never really paid attention to before. So I'm really grateful for that actually, but it doesn't come without the loss of feeling that safety net and feeling like I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because it's not the case anymore. It's like comes with more decisions and 
focus and, you know, research. So yeah, that's kind of the, the shifts. <laughs> but I will say the other part of gaining things too, and the change in perspective is just living in the moment is not something that I was really good at before, but now mm -hmm. I'm very much aware and better. I wouldn't say I'm like 100% perfect at it, but I am good at it in the sense that I, you know, I'm here, I want to spend the time here. And this is the only moment I have is right now. So, you know, I can't change the past, I can't predict the future. So I'm going to stay in the present. And my favorite quote says something along the lines of, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to say just the part like the life of, so we call it the present because life is a gift. That's yeah. kind of, so I, I do love yeah. that. I always think I about it. I love that too. And it really is. And I think until you go through something, you're like, oh yeah, like I, this is what I'm supposed to do. I think there's a lot of like should yeah. and supposed to, and right. then you experience something and you're like, oh no, that's maybe not what I want. And that's not making me happy to spend my time that way. Yeah. And a lot of people who I've had on the show and I've talked about this, I experienced this of, I like shifted careers a lot of people on the show have shifted career or how they're spending their extracurricular time has changed just because mm -hmm. you realize whatever you were doing was making you miserable or yeah. not yeah but if you can talk about some of the nonprofit work you do I was really yeah. um, impressed that you were saying all uh -huh. this and then you were like and I do it on the side I was like what <laughs> so if you yeah. can uh talk about that and if that was helpful in your grieving process and just like what the work you're doing yeah yeah no I love this because so as we were talking about before, friends and family, you know, they really try to, they try to say what the right thing is, the wrong thing, but they really truly can't understand what your experience is if they haven't gone through it themselves. So when I was going through the process, I had this large group of friends and family that just is, was amazingly supportive. And I am so incredibly grateful for that. But the one piece that was missing, and I didn't realize it until I found this group, was that I didn't have people who were going through the same experience at my age or at a similar age. And I didn't have any of that support. So I ended up finding through some of my friends from dance, they knew of a girl, her name Valley, and she was starting this nonprofit group with three other women who were all either breast cancer survivors, or they were pre-vivors and a pre-vivor is someone who um, goes through a prophylactic surgery in order to prevent the, the risk of breast cancer if they have a gene like BRCA gene, for example. So they had banded together. They had been through support groups in terms of like, you know, just going to their hospital and doing that. And all of the women there were just old. They were not that this is an old age. Sorry, viewers, if you are 65 or above, but they were older in the sense that like different life stage. Yes, Let's say that. You. Thank you. I like that better. <laughs> different <laughs> life like, stage. They're not old. That's mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're in different life stages. Correct. And postmenopausal is very different than premenopausal. And, and you have different concerns. Yes. Fertility, for it. instance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I wasn't finding that, uh, that group of support either because I didn't know who to turn to, to talk about those different things. So I met with Allie and she told me about this group that she was forming called the Breasties, her and three other women, um, all co-founded it. And I, they, at that point, they weren't even a official nonprofit when I first met them. So I just started like being really involved in that community and getting to know them and 
helping wherever I could because it felt like so much of the support that they were able to give me by all of us connecting and having this you know, mutual experience and being able to just chat about things. Like I met this, one of my, I'm going to call her my breast friend. That's what we refer to each other as one of my breast friends. Her name is Jill. Her and I met each other in the beginning of this whole thing. And we could have these ridiculous conversations that filled my heart so much because we could say, I remember sending, sending her a picture and being like, did your toenail turn black during chemo? And she was like, oh yes, yes this happened. She was like, let me show you a picture of mine. Let's compare. And we just had this ridiculous conversation about toenails during chemo that you can never have with someone else. Like I could never have said this to my mom and have her be like, Oh, totally. I get it. Of course. Like she's the best mom ever, but it's like, you can't understand that without actually going through it. So having that group has been so, so amazing. So I've been working with them and helping as much as I can, whenever I can during my free time, just to be able to help support the community that they've built because they meant so much to me during my process. And if I can help others in that, I'm like, that's, that is my biggest mission and biggest fulfilling part of my life. You know, work is work, but being able to help people and especially young women who are like newly diagnosed and going through such a crazy process. That's just like that, that means more to me than I could ever communicate in words. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. So do you want to get a little bit into like some of the things that crossed your mind and some of the other women in this group as like, what are concerns of a a different stage in life of someone in their twenties or thirties going through this versus someone who is maybe postmenopausal. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely, there are definitely some things that I grieved about in this sense and weren't really as aware until I started talking to this group. And that's where I think it's just so special that we were able to have those conversations and where I like to try to communicate it out to other young women too, because doctors don't really talk about this. They don't really set you up as well because you know, they're focused on how are we attacking the actual issue versus like, what is your quality of life? What is it going to be like afterwards? What are you going to have to deal with in terms of like premenopausal things and that different life stage? So I don't have any children. One of the things that I had to decide within 24 hours, my oncologist, I remember so specifically, and I was bawling, like I could uncontrollably crying because I didn't know my answer, but she was like, do you want to have children? You need to decide in 24 hours. And I was like, excuse me. I was in a relationship at the time, but my relationship didn't last through cancer. And I was like, I don't know. I'm not really like this relationship isn't probably not going to work out. So like, how do I know? I don't have it. And like, I have no idea if that was where, what I wanted in life. I could, how was I supposed to figure that out in 24 hours? So those are the things that you're faced with when you're young, because a chemo could potentially turn off your ovaries. It could potentially destroy a lot of your eggs. You could be faced with infertility because of it. So you're kind of give, you're not given that choice and that freedom anymore of just like saying, naturally, I'm going to have them when I, you know, me and my husband or partner or whoever decide that I want to have it you don't get that choice anymore. And it comes down to not only chemotherapy, but like the drug that I'm on, for example, I can't be pregnant while I'm on it. So I am faced with like a small window of opportunity that I can have after being on it for five years. That's like 
the safety of coming off of it, trying, then I have to go right back on it. So I don't really get this like opportunity to just naturally have the conversations of like family planning with my family. So it doesn't, it doesn't quite work like that. So that's one of the things. The second thing I would say is, you know, when you're young, you also don't necessarily think about what are the physical aftermaths of it and being that, you know, you're on all the, you're on medicine. You have been on like probably hormonal medicine in terms of chemotherapy. What does that do to your sex drive? What does that do to your confidence in terms of what your body looks like? How are you intimate with your own body or intimate with another person in that sense? And like, how Mm -hmm. do you feel afterwards? And that's something that you don't really think about. You're just like, you go into survival mode and you're like, I must get this under control. And then once you get past it, you have the time to let that sink in. Like, oh my gosh, I remember when I first became single after I went through cancer and I said, and hopefully you don't mind me saying these words, but I was like talking to my friends and I'm like, how do I go out on dates? Like, I can't have like a one night stand anymore. Not that I'm like a super one night stand girl, but I'm like, what if I want to have a one night stand? What if you wanted to have one? But I, but I felt like I lost that because I couldn't, because I don't have nipples anymore. And it's like, I can't just surprise a dude and be like, hello. And like, (laughs) you know, like not have that conversation. So it always put a pressure on things that I didn't realize was going to be the case when I first you know, got diagnosed and then was like, all right, we're setting surgery and all those things. And then comes the aftermath of I'm single, I'm going on dates. What the heck? How do I do this? How do I navigate it? How do I feel confident about being intimate with someone else um, in general? Yeah. Yeah. Those are all just, those are things that the breast season I would all have conversations about. And that's the most amazing part is that we can have those conversations and all kind of relate and talk about what worked for us, what didn't like all of those different things. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like difficult enough to navigate dating after grief, loss, cancer, whatever, but then to add like the family planning and fertility components to add the, like, you, you're not just going to take your shirt off without like warning someone. I mean, you yeah. might like, who knows, but like, <laughs> I just, have not, I didn't uh, test that. I'm not sure you didn't what test happened. I'm, I didn't. <laughs> so I was uh, like, I'm oh, a red, red flag. Got to tell you something first. <laughs> like that's no one talks about that. So I'm actually doing yeah. this mini series with this woman who is a trauma therapist in DC. And we talk about dating after, like oh, grief, loss, et cetera. So like we talked about me, we talked about like how your vulnerability needs change, like all yeah. of these things, but like talk to someone who got divorced, like talk to someone who ended up marrying like the hospice nurse who cared for her dying wife. Like, wow. and now, so like, maybe we can talk about if you want to come back and like, we can talk yeah. more about this. Gosh, like, I would love to. it's like, it's so important. And I like, you know, not the same to like lose your dad versus experience a cancer diagnosis yourself, but like overlap, we can say that safely. I feel like. No, no, you definitely can. And like, I was like, I can't believe no one is talking about this. Like I have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I like totally say whatever you want about it, but I think it's like a really important thing that the societal conversation has historically ignored about young people who are like going through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And we, I think in that sense, we're all kind of, and maybe there's the societal influence, but it's like, we all are taught to just kind of not discuss it, like avoid it, wait until a certain amount of time, but there's not a timeline. Like, it's like, however you feel 
that you should approach it. If that's open and up, honest up front, if that's like, you know, you need to feel like a little bit more comfortable, it's however you feel, but I think it's, you know, I don't think that it's talked about and discussed enough about how we can go through approach that and also what those other people can, how do we communicate what we need from them too in those situations? So, yeah. All right. So, so you'll come back and you'll, we'll do it. Yeah. No, I love, right. I love to do that. I love it. Excellent. If we can go back to something we said at the beginning of the episode about doctors not yes. trusting, I feel like this happens a lot with women who, yes. Like you're like, something's wrong. And they're like, we don't think something's wrong. And just like any advice you have on advocating for yourself or what that experience was like. I know one of my really good friends, moms just went through ovarian cancer has been declared like they're fine. Cancer-free. That is a term they are using. So yeah. I feel okay. No, using no, 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 no. Use free. I feel like I tripped you up with that. Don't worry. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, I don't want to say something that's like going to make someone feel some type of way. So no, but, and this, my friend's mom had to she was like, something's wrong. And they were like, well, it's your hip. And they were like, no, it, it it's not. So she had to go through all of these tests before they would declare and say like, oh no, you do in fact have ovarian cancer. So, but just anything you can speak to on your experience with that. Cause I think that that happens to people a lot. Yes. And one, the thing that I communicate most to people that I talk to about this, and I really, really love this analogy, is that I think of finding the right doctor. It's like dating, like you want to find someone who you feel connected to, who's going to listen to you, who's going to be on the same page as you, and who respects what you want. And respects what you're saying to them, because they're not in your body, ultimately. So pushing for our own health and advocacy. And there's no shame. If it ends up being nothing, great. That's awesome. But you still like feeling proud and supported by your doctor and yourself in pushing to get that test or to look into something further. There's no shame in that. And I think there's too much of a stigma in that, like, we don't have to check something until it's like super serious. And it's all about reactive care versus like preventative or just like you know, examining and research kind of thing. So I think one, finding a doctor that you're super connected to, if you go into an appointment and you're like, I feel like they're so cold. I need someone who's warm and fuzzy and who's gonna listen to me and respect that I'm anxious about this or respect that I'm feeling something and that we need to get to the bottom of it. However we need to, then don't go to that doctor anymore. Like I just, I say, go find a, find a second opinion, go and talk to those doctors, do a consultation. That's probably the biggest piece of advice. Like do consultations to get to know that doctor. It's kind of like an interview before you go in and see them. You can definitely request something like that before to see if you actually really like that person. But I think there needs to be a mutual connection and everybody wants different types of care. So it's going to come down to like the personality and how that doctor runs their practice. So you feel supported in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Great advice. All right. So let's finish. If people are interested in finding you online, do you want them to find you or find out yeah. about the breasties? Like if you yeah. can just tell people where to find you on the internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you can find me personally, either on Instagram or TikTok. My username is the same on both. TikTok has been really interesting because a lot of younger people are coming on there and it's like such an educational platform. So I'm really loving that and being able to kind of communicate all these things that we've kind of just talked about too. Mm -hmm. But my username there is Danny underscore Trops, T 
T-R-O-P-S, like tropical. Um, <laughs> and I'll put it in the show notes too. Cool. So thanks. Like, well, and then, good. yeah, if you want to check out the breasties too, they are all over. Instagram is probably the easiest place to find them, but you can find them at the breasties on Instagram and great organization. They're also on, you know, Amazon smile. If you do want to donate um, and give any kind of profits of that, that would be really, really helpful. They, I didn't even actually touch on this. I'll really quickly give a summary, but the breasties not only is just like a support group, but they do put on events and I can say we, cause I help with those two, but we put on events that are for young women who are affected by reproductive cancers. It's not just breast cancer. It's I'll loosely say reproductive cancers, never would anyone turn away someone who comes through with like a different type of cancer that is not reproductive based, but it's, yeah, it's really for the, for younger women and people to be able to have these educational, supportive, fun environments and events to attend to, yeah, to feel supported and feel like they're not alone. That's so great. And so thank you, Danny, so much for being here today. This was such a great conversation. I love talking to you and I'll have you back. We can talk about dating. Yeah, Um, I love that. I get into so many things. (laughs) It's my favorite topic. (laughs) And thank you. Thank you everyone for listening. You can find us online at thegriefcoach.co and on social at the underscore griefcoach. Talk to you soon. Thanks.